This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. One day, in October 1997, several police stations across the U.S. received phone calls from a youth center in Spain. The caller identified himself as the director of the facility and stated that a teenage boy from America was there asking for help. The police in the U.S. put the caller in touch with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The caller from Spain went on to give a brief physical description of the boy and asked if there were any missing teenagers matching their records. The agent checked the database and provided the caller with the name of a teenage boy who had been reported missing several years earlier. The descriptions were similar enough to be a possible match, so the case details were sent over right away. Not long after the file arrived, the Center for Missing Children received a follow-up call from the person claiming to be the director of the youth facility. He told the agent that the missing boy in the file and the scared boy standing in his office were, in fact, the same. When the call ended, the man calling himself the director studied the missing boy's file carefully. It wouldn't be long now before he would have to convince the world that he was the missing teenager. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. Frédéric Bourdain was born in 1974, in a suburb just outside of Paris. He was a disruptive child both at home and at school, preferring to live in a fantasy world. He was raised by his grandparents until, when he was just age 12, he was sent to a home for juveniles. Years later, at 16, he ran away from another center and headed to the streets of Paris. It's there that he started to create and assume false identities. He quickly found that telling people he was a 14-year-old runaway got their attention. He also found that telling people he had been abducted and was scared and alone quickly got him sympathy. Bourdain would establish detailed backstories to go along with his false identities. Vivid stories of a lifetime of abuse and loneliness, wanting only to be safe and loved. He was quoted saying, Every single day, every single week, every single month of my life, my only work is trying to get people to care for me. The only way I've known how to do that is being 14 years old. If you find good people, they will try to help you. He learned how to come across younger by talking quietly, slouching his back and shoulders, and sometimes wearing makeup. His walk and mannerisms mirrored a teenager, and his clothes looked the part right down to the tilt of a baseball hat. It all had to be convincing because Frederick Bourdain would go on to spend the next seven years pretending to be 14. Bourdain spent those years railroading around Europe, posing under various aliases. Whether he introduced himself as Alex Dole, Peter Sampson, or Robin Morris, he was always a lost and scared 14-year-old. Even as his teenage years turned into his 20s, Bourdain continued the well-practiced act, 
talking his way into youth homes where he would receive free room and board. He reportedly created over 500 identities, using them to live at an estimated 150 youth shelters throughout Germany, Sweden, Belgium, and Denmark. He took advantage of so many charitable youth centers that the International Crime Police Organization, better known as Interpol, dubbed him the Chameleon. The international media picked up his story as a serial imposter, and in 1995, he even appeared on the popular French TV show, Everything is Possible. My name is Frederick Bourdain, I'm a French national, and the reason I'm famous is because I've been changing identities for more than 500 times. They, they give me the name The Chameleon because of so many times I've changed my identities. In 1997, while posing as a teenage runaway from New York, Bourdain was questioned by authorities from the American consulate in Sweden. They quickly saw through his fictional story, and he was deported back to France. From there, the 23-year-old Bourdain headed to Spain, where it didn't take long for him to find a youth home. It also didn't take long for the supposed 14-year-old to get caught. With his real identity still a mystery, Bourdain told the judge handling his child welfare case that he was an American runaway. The judge granted him permission to use an office phone to call his parents back in the U.S. That's when he started to call U.S. police stations, until he finally received the name of the missing American teenager with similar features. When Frederick Bourdain returned to the judge, he told her that his name was Nicholas Barclay and that he was from San Antonio, Texas. From the file that Bourdain had received from the U.S. Center, he learned that Nicholas Barclay had been missing since 1994 and the 13-year-old would now be 16. The file also included a picture of Nicholas, clearly showing his blonde hair, blue-eyed, all-American face. Frederick Bourdain's half-French, half-Algerian complexion was darker, and his hair and eyes were dark brown. In the picture, Bourdain could see that Nicholas had a tattoo on his hand. With little else to go on, he started the process of becoming the missing American boy from Texas. He dyed his hair blonde, and had the same tattoo inked on his hand. There wasn't much he could do about his eye color at the time, so he figured he would explain it away in the story he was developing. The story would go something like this. He was kidnapped in San Antonio, and taken to Europe, where a prostitution ring abused and tortured him for years. They continuously injected him in the eyes with an unknown substance, that eventually changed the color from blue to brown. His thick French accent would be explained by the fact that the gang forced him to speak only French. He took the first opportunity to escape and found himself in Spain where he asked for help from child services. Bourdain committed the made-up story to memory and crossed his fingers, knowing full well it would be over the second the family met him in person. Given the hundreds of identities Bourdain had created in the past, this would actually be the first time he stole someone else's. But if the file had contained more detail about the family he was about to meet, he probably would have done things very differently. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Nicholas Barclay went missing on June 13, 1994, after an evening of playing basketball with friends. He reportedly was carrying only $5, and had no other resources that would assist him if he had run away, as some theories suggest. He was known as the neighborhood troublemaker, and often became violent with other kids, teachers, and family. It wasn't uncommon for police to respond to emergency calls at his house during arguments. In fact, Nicholas was due to appear in court the following day, and could have ended up in juvenile detention, so his family thought he may have run to avoid a harsh sentence. Also, it wasn't the first time that Nicholas had run away, but he had always returned. The family decided to wait it out, and didn't report him missing for three days. By the time police started a missing person investigation, there was little to go on. There was no evidence of a crime, and no witnesses came forward to report anything suspicious. Nicholas Barclay had simply vanished. Strangely, about three months after he disappeared, his older brother Jason called police insisting that he had seen Nicholas trying to enter their garage. When police investigated the sighting, they found nothing and determined that Jason was most likely making it up. This added to the growing suspicion that the family was somehow involved. Nicholas's family was reportedly as dysfunctional as they come. His mother was a heroin and methadone addict. His brother Jason also battled with drug addiction, so it was his older sister Carrie who went to Spain to meet their recently found brother. When she arrived at the children's shelter days later with an official from the American Embassy, Frederick Bourdain greeted her wearing sunglasses, a baseball hat, and scarf wrapped around his mouth and nose. Carrie reached out and hugged the man, claiming to be Nicholas. After some time together, she confirmed that he was absolutely her brother, and they left the shelter. They spent the next few days getting reacquainted, while the American Embassy produced a passport and other documents for Nicholas's travel home. Bourdain was shocked that he had passed for the 16-year-old, all-American-looking Nicholas. He was sure that the moment Carrie laid eyes on him, that the hoax would be over, and he would be arrested. But she had vouched for him, and now he was on his way to a new life with a new family in San Antonio, Texas. Bourdain would later tell a reporter that while they were still in Spain, Carrie looked at him and said, quote, You're not really Nick, are you? According to Bourdain, he insisted that he was, and she never brought it up again. On October 28, 1997, the two supposed siblings arrived at the San Antonio airport. They were greeted by Nicholas's mother, his cousins, and Carrie's husband. Bourdain recognized everyone from photos Carrie had brought with her to Spain. If they didn't recognize him, they didn't show it. In fact, no one seemed suspicious that the person in front of them looked strikingly different from the boy that went missing three and a half years earlier. They all hugged him, and, curious to Bourdain, accepted that he was, without question, Nicholas. 
everybody wanted me so badly to be Nicholas Barclay. So, until I got into the plane, I really thought that it was the best thing to do because they wanted me to be that boy. Bourdain knew that if he was going to keep up the masquerade, he would need a lot more information about Nicholas Barclay. He spent those first few weeks studying home videos, photo albums, and notebooks. Anything he could use to convince those around him that he was their missing family member. He was becoming Nicholas more and more every day. The news of a missing teenager from Texas being found three years later in Europe caught the attention of the media. On November 6th, just a week after Bourdain arrived in San Antonio, a reporter, along with a camera crew, knocked on their door, hoping for an interview. Despite family objections, the attention-starved imposter jumped at the opportunity. In the interview, Bourdain described in detail the horrific story of abduction and abuse. is Eyewitness News at 10. He disappeared without a trace three years ago. Tonight, a San Antonio boy is back home. Nicholas Barclay is now 16 years old. He vanished when he was 13. Nicholas says he was kidnapped and taken to Spain. He says for three years, he was repeatedly drugged, beaten... He described the injections to change his eye color and how his captors wouldn't allow him to speak English. He was calm and emotionless as he methodically told his well-rehearsed story. What Bourdain may not have realized at the time was that accompanying the media crew was a private investigator. The TV show had hired him to locate the family's address for the surprise interview. His name was Charlie Parker, and he knew right away that something was strange about the supposed 16-year-old American kid sitting in front of the camera. to me about how you even came onto this story. Why were you brought in as a, as a private investigator? I got hired by a show called Hard Copy, and uh, the producer wanted me to go along for some reason. And when I went to the house during the interview... It wasn't just the French accent that stood out to him. Parker noticed a photograph of the real Nicholas, near where the interview was happening. He scanned back and forth between Bourdain and the picture. Among other obvious differences between them, what really caught Parker's eye were their ears. Ears are unique, and the ears on the two Nicholases were noticeably different. When the on-camera interview had ended, Parker and the crew left, but the private investigator was convinced that Bourdain was not Nicholas. And I asked the cameraman to zoom in on his ears. His it's ears, a, It's a technique Scotland Yard uses. Uh, to identify people. Uh, the ear is the only part of the human body that doesn't age. Hmm. And I knew if I could compare the ears, I could, I could know what I had here. So I got to uh, my office, compared the ears, and I knew instantly I had an imposter. He started researching some of the things Bourdain claimed happened to him during his three-year captivity. It didn't take him long to find experts who confirmed that the color of an eye cannot be changed using chemical injections. Experts also told him that if English was his first language, that any adopted accent would have naturally dropped within a short period. If there had been a sliver of doubt before, Parker's research proved that whoever this was, it wasn't Nicholas Barclay. Yet, for all of his work, he still had no idea who this person was and why he was there. 
He also couldn't help wondering why the family was so confident this was Nicholas. Why did you, you could not shake these lingering questions though. Why was it? Because the family was really ready to accept this. One thing we've learned in our business is teenagers are changelings. Mm, it's true. Every day they look different. One day they're a rock star. The next day they look like they're a, a computer nerd working for <laughs> Apple. So we know that. And uh, I, think, I think they overlooked a lot of that. Charlie Parker shared his concerns with the FBI and learned that agents were already suspicious of Bourdain. Since interviewing him about his abduction shortly after his arrival to the States, agents had suspected him of lying. But since the family said he was Nicholas, they had to let him go. The FBI actually thought he could be a spy and notified the CIA. But lacking proof, the CIA dismissed it. Agents contacted Nicholas's family for their cooperation, but they became defensive adamant that he was the real Nicholas. It wasn't until the FBI presented them with a federal warrant that Bourdain and Nicholas's mother were forced to provide blood samples. That was in February 1998, about four months after arriving in Texas. About four weeks later, it would all come to an end. Settle in tonight, because we are about to share with you a story so bizarre it's hard to believe it's true. The 23-year-old Bourdain from France had been playing the role of a 16-year-old from Texas for almost six months. He had unwittingly scanned his way into a deeply troubled family, and was now himself becoming deeply troubled. His mood worsened, and he stopped going to school. He even stole a family car and drove it to another state, eventually being pulled over and arrested. Bourdain was on the edge of an emotional and physical breakdown and just wanted out. Nicholas's mother, who had avidly defended his identity for all this time, grew increasingly upset with his behavior. She reached her breaking point on March 5, 1998, and called Charlie Parker, admitting to him that she didn't think Bourdain was her son. She told him what had really convinced her was that Bourdain had not remembered his old grade school when they drove past it. The DNA results from the blood samples taken a month earlier would soon prove that there was no relation. The following day, authorities took Frederick Bourdain into custody. He was charged with the possession of false documents and perjury, and in September 1998, he pled guilty. The Texas court threw the book at him equating what he had done to the Barclay family to murder. He was sentenced to six years in prison, a far harsher punishment than the two years prosecutors had asked for. While in custody, he told authorities that he believed Nicholas's brother Jason was involved in Nicholas's disappearance. He had become increasingly suspicious over the months that he had lived with them. Most may have dismissed the claims of a compulsive liar, but he found someone who agreed with him. Charlie Parker had taken a keen interest in Nicholas's case and shared Bourdain's suspicions. He believed that Jason had the opportunity, and with a history of drug-fueled violence and a hatred for his little brother, may have done something to him. The district attorney was intrigued enough to start looking into the claims. Jason was questioned and released. The investigation, however, was closed after Jason died of a drug overdose. He had been clean for years, and speculation is that it was suicide. 
Today, Charlie Parker continues to investigate Nicholas's disappearance and has vowed that he'll find out what happened. This is a fascinating case. Have you ever seen anything like this no, in I... your career? The chameleon spent five years in a Texas prison. He was deported to France the moment he was released and picked up where he left off. In 2003, apparently learning nothing from his experience in the US, the 29-year-old Bourdain tried to steal the identity of a 14-year-old. The French boy, Leo Bailey, had gone missing in 1995 during a camping trip, and when DNA results showed that Bourdain was an imposter, he was arrested. In 2005, the 31-year-old Bourdain was caught living in a children's center, impersonating a 16-year-old. He was arrested again, and this time, authorities wanted to know why a grown man would impersonate a teenager. They launched an investigation which ultimately found no sign of pedophilia or sexual deviance of any kind. They found no evidence of a financial benefit and determined that his only motivation was emotional fulfillment. I was just trying to find love. I made a mistake. That was a mistake. There is no doubt. It was a mistake. I wanted my childhood back, so the only reason for me to do those things was that I needed to be accepted by some kind of family, children's home, shelter, where I could be there and I could be loved. A French lawyer in the inquest was quoted saying, In my 22 years on the job, I've never seen a case like it. Frederick Bourdain has said in interviews that these days he's happy being himself and that he's too old to lie. One thing is for sure, the now 45-year-old chameleon with his receding hairline, weathered face, and hardened eyes will never be mistaken for a teenager again. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. Cover art and design was created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Comments? Questions? Get a hold of us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. A huge thanks for listening. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.